name is Ladebi Otiotio, and I know what you're thinking. Right now, you're thinking it's a familiar name, and you might know me, right? Wrong. Though my name sounds familiar, you don't know me. Of that, I'm certain. I'm not a public figure, and I don't live my life on social me media. Until now, I've led a quiet and extremely private life, but all that is about to change. You see, I'm from a large and somewhat popular family in Bayelsa State. The state is in the southern part of Nigeria, so if you're from that region of the country, you might have heard of the Otiotios. If you've run into one, they'd most likely be a brother, sister, cousin, or a distant relative of mine from Brass. That's the name of the local government area I'm from, by the way. So, back to my story. There's a strong possibility you've read about one or two of us in the papers. You might even have seen an Otiotio on television because I can mention a few who occupy positions of influence either in the public service or around social circles in the States and maybe even beyond. Knowing this about my background, you might think you know me, but like I said earlier, you don't. You don't know me because I live in Toronto. I've lived here for 22, or is it 23 years now? Sometimes I forget. What I remember though is that I left Nigeria for Canada three years after my national youth service. As at the time the decision was made, my parents had insisted it was the best thing for me because in the four years I was an accounting student in the University of Calabar, I'd prioritized campus politics and activism above my primary purpose of being in the university. It started when I was elected course representative for many of the lecturers in my first year. By my sophomore year, I was voted secretary of the Association of Accounting Students, and then I became president of the student union in my 300 level. As student union government president at 21, 22, such a young age if you ask me, I became acquainted with powerful politicians and opinion leaders in Cross River State. Many high-ranking military, police, and secret service operatives in the state could either recognize me in a crowd or knew me by name. And of course, in the event of an emergency, I direct access to the vice chancellor of my university and even the military administrator of the state at any time, day or night. I was that powerful and connected. I was intelligent and charismatic, and I knew exactly how to manipulate those traits for the benefit of either the students I represented or the government of the day. It all depended on what the issue was and where I stood to profit the most. I couldn't have said it then, but I guess I can say it now that most times when there was a protest or any other form of conflict between the authorities and all students, I and members of my executive council were secretly on the side of the authorities and we did their bidding. I was young, but I wasn't manipulative. I was a master planner and strategist. It was innate. I was a master in the game of politics and this made my parents very uncomfortable and scared for my safety and for my future as well. My parents, true Democrats that they were, hated that the military was holding tight to the reins of power at every level of government 
when they should have been handing over governance to democratically elected leaders and politicians. This was around 1995-96, when democracy and everything good that came with it seemed like a pipe dream. If I'm being honest, I was happy that my medical doctor father and permanent secretary mother were willing to pay for me to further my education abroad. I was happy for my admission into postgraduate school of the University of Toronto. No doubt, a second degree in finance and business administration from such a prestigious university would look good on my resume when I aspired for public office. Of course, my parents didn't know I was dead set on returning to Nigeria after the program so I could pursue my interest in politics. There was no way I was going to be derailed by their scheming. I saw through it and I wasn't going to let the allure of life in North America distract me from my ultimate goal. But you know what they say about goals, right? Now, personally, when leg touch ball last, they score them. I came to Canada and my dreams took on a different pair of wings and off they went in a totally different direction. I found love in Ontario. Shauna made me stay back. Today, after 22 years in Canada, I am now Director of Finance for one of the largest healthcare service provider, providers in my province. I'm happy here. I've made a life for myself here. I've made a name for myself in my field and in the community here. And if both my parents were alive, I'm sure they'd be happy at how well the perfectly orchestrated plan for my future panned out. I've been low-key successful in Canada, I won't lie. Still, I'm not out there drawing attention to myself and to my family. I like to be low-key, behind the scene, making things happen. That's how I like it. That's the choice I made and the life I now lead. You may not know my name today, but all that will change tomorrow because of Alabo. But before I tell you about him, perhaps I should start with KGB. For sure, I wouldn't be narrating this story if Kolawale, Badamosi, Bola Joko hadn't come to me for help. KGB, now what for you? I've been trying to reach you for like, what now, two days? No vex, I beg. This week has been crazy for me. We started our campaign rallies on Monday and it has been mad. If I tell you say I never sleep for three days as I did like this, will you believe me? Wow. How do politicians function without sleep? Please take it easy, yo. The elections are still many months away and you're already working this hard. Lade, there's too much at stake. That's why we started campaigning early. We have to get our party name and message out there. You know, we're still a small party. When PDP and APC did there, who wants to vote for DAP? Uh, that's true. You guys in Development Agenda Party have your work cut out for you. And seriously, I don't envy you one bit. Anyway, I saw your call the other day. I was in a meeting at work and couldn't answer my phone. But I called back immediately the minute ended and then you didn't answer or call back. I'm so sorry. It's all the rallies, media rounds, and clandestine meetings we've been having. I didn't know that being 
National Publicity Secretary for a small party was going to be this hectic, honestly. And our chairman, the man wants to wants us to win at, at least one state for a presidential candidate so people can start taking us seriously. In fact, Ladebi, that's why I called you the other day and that's why I'm calling you now. I need your help, Lade. I need it badly. KGB, Abu, don't forget CID Canada. My friend, I'm in Toronto. What role can I possibly play in an election taking place in Nigeria when I'm here? Anyway, let's hear it. What do you need my help for? We need Bielsa. How can you help us? And don't tell me you're in Canada, please. We might be in Canada, but no one understands Bielsa politics better than you do. Besides, you know people. You've maintained your connections. That is true. My Bielsa contacts are still intact. Since leaving Nigeria and getting a good job here in Canada, I've made it a point of duty to send money back home in every election circle. I've supported Wolio in part the campaign efforts of friends and relatives interested in running for office in my community and even at the state level. I'd make sure to contribute something, no matter how little, to people's campaign funds. And it didn't matter that some of these relatives and friends had no chance of victory at the polls. KGB knew this. He has his information because he coordinated all of my donations and handled every single transfer on my behalf before and after he got his first major political break, appointment as Commissioner for Culture and Heritage in his home state, Ikiti, a few years ago. And just so you know, KGB and I, we've come a long way. Although we were born on the same year, for the longest time, I was like a mentor to him because I was three years his senior in the university. And he kind of followed in my footsteps by becoming student union government president two years after my graduation. Until this day, he gives me credit for the success of his tenure as president in Unicol because I was always there for him to consult and give sound counsel when things got tricky. And if it was money he wanted, he knew he could count on me for that as well. After KGB's graduation, by which time I had moved to Canada, we stayed in touch as friends. Around 1999-2000, when the military eventually handed over power back to civilians and General Olusogun Obasanjo retired, became the first elected president of Nigeria after 16 years of dictatorship, KGB came to me again for advice. This time, he was torn between taking a job as a classroom teacher in Federal Government College, Kolei Kitty, and becoming an aide to the Director General of the Na National Agency for Food and Drug Administration and Control. I made him see reasons why he was better off working with the DG of NAFDAC, as opposed to being a school teacher, since his ambition was to broaden his political network and one day become a legislator or join the Executive Council of the state as Special Advisor, Commissioner, or maybe even Deputy Governor. When he got married, KGB and his wife spent their honeymoon with Sean and I in Toronto. Two out of the four kids were born in Canada because of me and my wife. That's how close Kola Wale and I were. 
You still haven't told me the help you want me to render. The ballot boxes. If you can stop the other party agents from snatching them from the youth couples engaged as pollution officers by INEC, we'll stand a good chance of winning many of the local government areas in your state. We've done our permutations and this is where I need your help. And how am I supposed to stop these agents from snatching the, bo the boxes? Ladebe, you have people that are very local, loyal to you in Bielsa. You have boys. You want my boys to checkmate arm thugs. How? Ladebi, you have a structure. Well, at least you can build one pretty quickly. Let me use it, please. Hmm. DAP will equip them. Just find the boys and leave the rest to me. I've been involved in enough elections in Nigeria to know what to do and want to get anything they want to enable them to do the job for me. Please, Ladebi, I'm begging you. My chairman is counting on me to deliver this one. Ladebi blew raspberries while he processed his friend's request. I don't have a structure and I don't know why you think I do. The most I can do for you is talk to my cousin Jasper. Jasper Otioto? That one that was a local government chairman or something some years back. Yes, I will speak to him and then I will connect the two of you together. Thank you. Thank you. That conversation was months ago. I remember ending the call and going into the bedroom to speak with Shona about Alabo. I had to convince her to allow me bring him to Canada to live with us. There was no better time to make her understand why it had to be done. Just like my parents, I didn't see a future for such a brilliant young man in a country that couldn't even conduct free and fair elections. I first learned of Alabo when he turned 16. His mother contacted me on LinkedIn. Seeing the resemblance in the photo she sent to me and the old pictures of myself as a teenager, I couldn't deny the boy was mine. However, I waited until we got the result of the DNA test. We both agreed was necessary before telling Shona that I had a grown-up son in Nigeria. He was born the year I moved to Canada. Initially, the boy was cold towards me. I would text him and for days would leave my messages unread. However, gradually things began to change and he would call me on his own just to say hello. I know I should tell you about his mother, Victoria. I know you would like to hear more about her and our one-time encounter on the night of June 8th, 1998 that resulted in the birth of our son. I still remember that night because I had gone out with some friends to celebrate the death of Sonny Abacha. He was the thieving general that ruled Nigeria with an iron fist for several years until God answered the prayers of praying Nigerians and took him home quite unexpectedly under circumstances that remain controversial till date. What remains incontrovertible is that Victoria chose to keep the pregnancy and the existence of the boy a secret from me until Alabo himself insisted on knowing his biological father. But that isn't what this story is about, so I'll spare you the details, for now, at least. When Alabo gained admission to study engineering in the Niger Delta University, it was me he called first with the good news. 
It was a proud moment for me, and I was revved up by the energy and excitement in his voice. Honestly, it felt like he would have hugged me if we were in the same room. Seeing his progress from that point on gave me the same kind of happy feeling I experienced with every milestone my other children, Maddie and Bryce, accomplished in their academics. When Alaba graduated with a first-class degree in chemical engineering last year, I couldn't be there, but I sent money to him and his mother so they could throw a big celebratory party for him and his friends. Afterwards, I asked for his graduation photo because I wanted it on display somewhere prominent in the house and in my office, and he sent it to me without hesitation. When he started his NYC six months ago, I sent him the latest iPhone and a MacBook Pro as gift. Alaba was beside himself with joy. He was surprised at my generosity and he called me that night to ask why I was spending so much money on him and his mother. I told him the truth. I was playing catch up. I then proceeded to reveal two more surprises to him. The first was concerning his NYC. I told Alaba about the strings I'd pulled to have him redeployed from Nasara to Bayelsa State so he could serve in government house. The chief security officer to the governor, my longtime friend and former secondary schoolmate, made that happen. The second was about his future. Shona had agreed that he could join us in Toronto at the end of his service year. This piece of information made Alaba tear up. He said there were tears of joy. Thank you, Daddy. I can't wait to meet my brother and sister. I should be the one thanking you for making us proud. I can't wait for you to join us here. You know the University of Toronto has a great engineering program, right? That conversation was only a few months ago. I was told Alabo discussed what I said to him about the collation job with some of his friends. He told them, that I asked him not to go to Southern Ijo that Saturday, but he went anyway. Even though I offered to send him 50,000 naira as compensation for making him stay home while his colleagues were in polling stations making extra cash, they convinced him not to turn down the opportunity of earning more than the, than the amount of money I promised him. The Independent National Electoral Commission was paying 50,000 naira to every youth couple engaged to work with them on election day. And then depending on the local government and polling station, each couple could get an additional 100,000 naira or more from party representatives on ground to monitor proceedings and secure their candidates' votes. To many of these young men and women, it was a lot of money from one for one day's work. In total, three couples were killed on election day, and Alabo was one of them. Eyewitnesses say that a fight broke out among the party agents in his unit, but it was the agent from DAP and his boys that started the shooting. The gunshot sent everyone scampering for cover in the nearby bushes, but not being familiar with the terrain, Alabo and the other coppers didn't go very far. He would have survived the injury to his shoulders if help had come sooner. But since he didn't, Alabo bled to death. 
You don't know me or my story yet, but tomorrow you will. Tomorrow I'll be burying my son in Yanagua. Tomorrow I'll be launching the Alaba Ochocho Foundation, a non-for-profit organization dedicated to advocacy for electoral reform in Africa and anywhere else in the world where leaders are elected into power based on votes and not who can spill the most blood. If you can see this and you have the time, please join us tomorrow. And the moral of this story, if there's one, is that a stone thrown into a crowded market might miss his target, but he certainly wouldn't miss a head. Hi there, my name is Michael Afenthia and this is Right Out Loud. If you've enjoyed the story you just heard, please do well to like, share and subscribe to this YouTube channel. And I'll see you on the next one.